Good morning, welcome to the voice of the people. I'm your host, Kenneth Marty Senior. I love enough to tell you the truth and I respect you enough to give you the facts. Um, I want to send prayers out to all the families that has lost loved ones during this coronavirus pandemic. Um, the loss of life is always heartbreaking, always promote um, severe emotions, uh, the grieving process. Uh, and during these difficult times, uh, folks in the black community, our culture dictates that we mourn, that we do the wake service, that we have the celebration of death and the transition to the spirit world and the repast and the gathering of the families. And, and it's, a, it's a wonderful thing. And that's been taken away from us. And as a community, uh, with respect to our history, uh, we only have a few institutions that we get to be ourselves and practice our cultures without interruption. That's been the black church and historical black college and universities and the black family. So these are some challenging times. Um, these are some difficult times. It's going to require that we rethink how we do business and how we move forward. Um, all over the news, um, it has been evident now by the CDC and most public health organizations that black people are disproportionately dying from the coronavirus. And the immediate question is, why is that? And there's several answers. Um, one answer is that a large percentage of um, African-Americans, black folks, Negroes, colored folks, we, uh, we live in a society and in, in, within systems and that we have the residual of a, uh, systemic racism. And people are uncomfortable talking about race because you often have to, they try to put blame on various individuals and then certain people are beneficiaries of this systemic racism. And of course, just by human nature, if you have the advantage, you don't want to give up that advantage, but we have to recognize and validate the experience of others. Uh, in the state of South Carolina, Black folks are about 27% of the population, so we're minorities. And it doesn't stop there. We're minorities in all facets of life. Uh, we're a minority on city council, county council, house of representatives, the senate, school boards, um, jobs, management jobs, healthcare professionals, attorneys, um, our existence in South Carolina, based on the history of South Carolina and the history of the United States, we are minorities and we have a history of oppression, segregation, and being marginalized. And all of the major newspapers and social media and TV knows they, they paint the picture and they create the stereotype that we are inferior and that we are less than. And because of the transition about public schools in the late 60s and 70s, we have lost the ability to control the narrative with our children. Um, prior to um, desegregation, uh, we had our own institution, which was black public schools. And our teachers uh, taught us our position in society and gave us strategies to survive within that system and also gave us a feeling of worth and increased our self-esteem and told us that we were more than good enough, that we were a great people. 
And of course, with the desegregation of schools, we, we lost that vehicle. And so what we have now since around 1971, we have uh, generations of um, young black kids that's been educated in public education without any attention or any respect given to their culture. And also, what you have to understand is that our kids from a very, very early age um, have seen themselves as second class citizens. If you talk to any young person, and I particularly in the last two or three years, I've been talking to a lot of young black males because of my history and working with young black males in criminal justice and that type, and social work, that type of thing. And the question that I ask most um, young black males is at what point in their life did they experience the realization that they were black men in America? And I got various answers, but all of them were sober in their affect as they talked about it. Um, I, you can imagine that you grew up in America and at some point in your childhood you realize that you are a second class citizen, that you don't have the rights and privileges and opportunities as a first class citizen. And yet, you are a part of this country. And your family reinforces that and your community reinforces it. Even your church reinforces it. And so that's why you have, a, you have this situation with black males that they're very distrusting. Some are very angry, some are depressed because it's difficult living under an impressive, uh, oppressive situation. And that's why, you know, the, the data tells the truth. That's why um, uh, in, our, in most communities, in, in areas of black communities, uh, most law enforcement agencies, they uh, enforce the law within those communities and not other communities. And so it creates a false narrative that we are more, that we have more criminal behavior and that we are criminals, when in fact we are not. It's just a systemic practice that labels us as criminals. And we don't want to talk about the cash bail situation where poor persons are uneducated, underemployed, and living in poverty, don't have money to pay fines, and they get warrants issued, and now they become incarcerated. And all of this is the underlying condition when we talk about the coronavirus. And then because of our position in society as Southern class citizens and being discriminated against and being negatively labeled, uh, it would be safe to say that we have uh, at least some degree of mistrust for systems that we suffer up under. And one of those systems is um, health care. Another system is public education. Another system is criminal justice. And even in our religious organization, um, black males ain't very much in the minority. Um, you go to any major black church in America, and only about one-fifth of the members are black males. So um, that's, a different, that's a, a different situation. So, then, so now what we have, we ha because you're poor, you're limited in your housing options, you're limited in transportation, you're limited in opportunities, and you, your culture becomes your immediate environment. And to get employed, you have to go to the other culture. And so you haven't had adequate practice or uh, life skills to even know that other culture. And so oftentimes you're penalized for your language, for your dress, for your demeanor, and uh, things that you don't have any idea on why it's happening. And most of the blacks within your community, if they prosper at all, they tend to move out of your community. So 
they they don't come back and tell you what skills and what strategies they use to get out of that area of poverty. And that is what is happening in the United States and South Carolina as well, is that we have uh, areas of poverty and poor people and minority people, people of color, and that we're not being tested. Uh, we have a shaky history and limited trust for public health. We don't trust law enforcement at all. And particularly our men, um, three-fourths of our men are not in our institutions, and namely that's the historical black college of universities and the church. And uh, public schools now, even though in, often, in many cases we're the majority of the population, we have the minority, a minority of power. You know, most school boards in integrated schools are majority are black, but you have majority of white school boards. And that is an ongoing dilemma on how we address the disproportionate um, um, failure rates and, uh, and uh, kids not being academically successful is because we're in crisis, but we don't have we don't have um, we don't have board members that's, that's sympathetic or have a broad view of humanity that they would care about the plight in the future of kids that's been deemed inferior or been categorized as criminals and getting pregnant and doing drugs because all of those are false narratives. And so when you talk about this virus, coronavirus, and the disproportionate rates of infection and death within the black community, it just opens up the book about how we've been living. We've been living as second class citizens. We've been living in a high rate of poverty. We've been undereducated. Um, our family structure has been broken down to the point that the norm is for a household not to have a mother and a father. And so uh, we have a lot of work to do. And with that being said, uh, is the future bright? It's always bright. Uh, the story that I like to tell folks is no matter what the situation is today, and it does not matter what the opposition is today, we will prevail. We will experience victory because God is on our side and we're going to do what we have to do. And our history reflects that determination and that success of achievement. You know, when you look at the situation of slavery and you look at how we maneuvered that and we fought that and we came up out of that, it stands the reason that, you know, with the crucifixion of our community now, with this coronavirus, that we can rise up out of this. So let's just be realistic. If you can rise up out of slavery in the United States of America, all of its racist systems and, and the formulation of the systemic racism that's being implemented on every level in our society, then I believe with all my heart that we can overcome this and we can rise again. You know, at points in history, sometime in our race, when we have risen to the, you know, to the moment, and sometimes we get complacent and sometimes um, because a lot, of, a lot of time our leadership fails us by moving away from us. We feel that what we fought to get is on autopilot. But history has proven whatever rights in any society that you fight and acquire, you must fight to maintain it. And as a lot of, a lot of military leaders will tell you, uh, you have to fight a war if you want peace. And so uh, what I told my children and I tell all young people, uh, the battle of your grandfather and your great-grandfather and your father remains your battle. So um, this is life. Uh, just be prepared 
to do battle for justice and for peace and for, and for all of humanity. And so um, uh, I'm, I'm just want to share with you some of the things that this virus has revealed to us how we've been living and we've been distracted because we've been able to buy houses at a high interest rate. When we've been able to buy new vehicles uh, and get it financed for seven years. And, and if a car costs $30,000, you end up paying almost $60,000 and you, and you finance your life through um, loan companies that have a plastic car. And so you become consumers and in debt your entire life and because the, the efforts that you put into buying gadgets and toys makes your life so stressful that you do not have time to think, uh, to eat healthy, to exercise, to raise your children, and to understand that there's more to life than buying toys. And so um, I'm your host, Kenneth Myers Sr. I love enough to tell you the truth. I respect enough to give you the facts. I'm just happy to be able to engage you and to talk, and to talk about what is happening in this crisis? It's nothing new. Um, what is what is vital that you, that we understand is that poverty has been killing us for generations, and now to add to that, we have this um, coronavirus pandemic. But you know, I believe that the answer is that we must acknowledge the position that we're in, have a strategy to move forward, and. Uh, Center for Disease and Control and the World Health Organization and our state and local health departments. Uh, we must, social distancing is vital. Hand washing is vital. Wearing of the mask is, is vital. And we have to understand this concept that this virus, um, some people can be a carrier of this virus and be asymptomatic with no symptoms and they can go around their family and friends and their grandparents and all the folks in the community and they can share that, that virus with them because they don't have a mask and they're not practicing social distancing and they can kill their grandfather and their grandmother. And so it's just that simple. And so we have to get the information out and we must continue to push the information out and we must find a way uh, to talk to our leaders so they will, they will experience um, some compassion in their heart and understand the true urgency of this crisis. This is death in a massive form that we have not seen before. And so to all of the faith leaders, to all of the political persons, to all of the neighborhood associations, all, all the groups, social groups, all the sororities and the sign of temples, we must come together to save our people. I'm your host, Kenneth Myers Sr. I love enough to tell you the truth, and I respect you enough to give you the facts.